I haven't really decided how to start the podcast yet, but I think something like welcome to, the, to uh, what's the name of the show? Oh, uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Late to the movies. My name is Ben Holtz. And every week we're going to discuss a different movie that me or one of my friends hasn't seen before and has always been told they should have. This week, that movie is Alien. And uh, the friends who have been so gracious as to be guinea pigs early on in this experiment this week are Will, who has seen Alien. Oh, many, many times. And Robbie, who has only, as of earlier this week, seen it. Uh, last night. And I would also like to point out, Will is currently wearing an Alien shirt. Did oh, not yes. notice that. <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, talking for a while now, and you nope, nothing. I honestly didn't notice <laughs> it's, either. It's Nightmare Before Christmas theme. I feel like it might offend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a giant xenomorph on my chest, you know. That's true. Um, speaking of xenomorphs and chests, the movie we're talking about this week, Alien, has a lot of that. I can't think of a better transition, unfortunately. But before we get into xenomorphs, chest bursting, etc., I want to talk to you guys a little bit about your general experiences with movie watching. That sounds extremely general, but I like to keep it open-ended. Do you watch a lot of movies? Is it more of a rare thing for you? Uh, okay. Well, I mean, I haven't seen Alien, so I think we can assume that I don't watch a ton of movies. Fair enough. Um, I do enjoy movies, but uh, I definitely don't want to dedicate time to watching something if i don't think it's going to be good because i hate the feeling of spending like two and a half hours and being like what the hell was that that's fair see and i'm on the complete other end of that i'll used to go to the movies probably once twice a month just doesn't matter you know c movie triple a like love a little bit of everything yeah i definitely in that short brief movie pass period before that terrible business uh plan went out of existence yeah, I, I, I saw uh, my card somewhere <laughs> yeah me too i was going to a movie a couple times a month even saw that weird king arthur movie in theaters so you know <laughs> oh that, that one was fantastic so much fun <laughs> not a great movie but a great time but yeah so kind of all over the spectrum specific to alien what did you know about it going into the movie robbie Oh, I absolutely knew that it was going to burst from a chest. I, mm-hmm. I uh, knew that. That's I, pretty inescapable in pop culture. Ooh, I um, knew. Uh, how did you feel about that with you know, like the squeamish part of it? Um, so it, it is a 1979 movie. So I, uh, my my delicate constitution can handle <laughs> the uh, the graphical effects of the 70s. Luckily, oh, I just want to make sure <laughs> it's more modern, like saw stuff that mm-hmm. I can't handle, which I think is a per- important thing to note. Like, yeah, absolutely. Movie. So like, I don't like blood or gore at all. So me picking a horror movie that was also like, a, I think I should put horror in quotes because it's not that scary, but it's. You know. I can imagine people at the time, though, this must have really, really that's, tweaked them that's out. That's fair. They did freak out about Jaws, and mm-hmm. this was like right in that. Yep, just a few years after. So this, so you knew about the chest bursting scene because, like we said, that's Everything. just all over the place. I think there's like a, a... The first time I saw a version of that scene was, I think, in Spaceballs, <laughs> I want to say. Okay. And there's like a tiny alien that some guy had like bad soup and he has a stomach ache and it jumps out of him. And then it does the Michigan J frog. Hello, my darling. Hello, my baby song. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, So that's the first version of this that I think I saw. But other than the chest bursting scene, did you know? much about it so other than that i definitely have seen some of the alien versus predator movies which okay. were also <laughs> ridiculous so it was interesting to see like the origin of of where that came from yeah F- 
fair enough. Um, obviously, this is one of your favorite movies, Will. Oh, yeah. So why is it one of your favorite movies? I'd say it honestly opened the door to all the sci-fi genre as it is. Um, me and my buddy had um, the great idea to watch this when we were in middle school. Perfect timing. Um, his parents had all the radar movies unlocked on the on demand and we you know just happened to watch this we're like oh it's a great idea it was also possibly the stormiest day of the whole year and his house is very old and makes a lot of uh creaking noises so that was a fun night great but it did open the door to watch all these amazing sci-fi movies over the years that's awesome that's uh, that makes a ton of sense for genre this did a lot too um i think not this but aliens the sequel Sigourney Weaver gets nominated for Best Actress and then I think it's only the third Best Actress nominee from a genre film at that point, or at least from horror. So, hmm. you know, it's a pretty big deal. Obviously a seminal movie. Let's get into it. Robbie, it, describe the plot of 1979's Alien. Oh, man. Okay. So corporations are bad, I think, is the, the number sure, one plot sure. point of this movie. But, uh, you know, so these, uh, these space miners are cargo haulers they don't really specify where the cargo came from they got this and they need to uh bring it from one point in the galaxy to another uh, along the way they get woken up early and they need to go investigate alien signals because that's also a thing cargo miners do um and uh it turns out that there is an alien on this planet and uh they uncover like an egg thing it sucks on this guy's face and then uh a much scarier version bursts out of his chest, grows to be a giant alien, and starts picking off the crew one by crew one. Very intelligent. Uh, Sigourney Weaver has to, uh, you know, carry the entire team because everyone wants to do the exact opposite of the right thing. By the end of the movie, she's the only one left. Surprise, surprise. And uh, just jettisons this thing out of the, the goddamn spaceship. It was amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, very succinct, and that is essentially it. It's a pretty simple plot line. There is what seven characters, seven characters, and uh, and a cat that's sort of troublesome, <laughs> and and the big alien, and that's essentially it. I think you hit everything. Um, but I, I before before that. we finish, let's talk a little bit more about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I thought you wanted me to give me like a brief summary, and then like, oh, but no, no. I mean, we could end the podcast right here, but well, let's yeah, talk bam. a little bit more about that, it. That's everything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I, I've, do we need to go chronologically or do we want to just jump all over the place? Well, I'm curious. You said like, surprise, surprise, Sigourney Weaver's the last one there at the end, but going into it, did you know that she was the star of the movie? Cause um, she's really doesn't emerge until maybe 45 minutes in. I, I did just because she's such a, a yeah, big name. It's hard I, to avoid. I right. feel like there's also pop culture yeah. jokes about her being the person in alien. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I tried to focus in on this time is. At what point is it clear that she's the star of the movie? This is her first main role in a movie for her in her career. Tom Skerritt is billed over her, the guy who plays Dallas. Okay. Um, so, you know, it it's kind of like 45 minutes in before she even really has like lines. <laughs> so yes. she's kind of just like one of the crew, especially the people who actually leave the ship at the beginning and explore the big crescent-shaped ship she's not in that crew she's back just kind of hanging back so yeah 
I think what you'd notice right away, like if you're going in it, like I am knowing this is the main character, yep. so you're you're watching her, but you notice the maintenance crew starts talking about how nobody cares about what they do. And then one of the very next scenes is Sigourney down there being like, what are you guys up to? And they're like, get out of here, Sigourney. Ripley, sorry, I'm yeah. going to use the character's name. But they're like, get, way. <laughs> get, get the hell out of here. And she's like, okay. So it's like, all right, obviously this person is like actually interested in what the operations of this, yes. this ship are. But then it's like crystal clear when they're like, hey, this guy got messed up on the planet. It. should we bring him inside she's absolutely not don't bring him inside yep. and it's like clear it's like okay she's the only one thinking here yep because that's, a- that's where ash like starts being shady too but yeah it's that's that's a good point where she's obviously the person who's the most clear-headed about you know the rules if this person's very obviously bringing an alien species onto the ship we can't just let you in and, and you know even before that she was like hey uh we just realized like we translated this and like it's not an sos it's it's a warning we shouldn't we need to stay away yep. and that's like ash let them you know they'll figure it out like what no it's it's a warning they should know that it's a warning yeah they absolutely should so okay interesting um like like you said should we go chronologically i don't know i have de- um i have notes as granular as my thoughts on the opening credits. So we don't really have to dig too far into it. Well, you, you had mentioned the cat and I, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I drilled on in on the cat and uh, I did want to clarify because I think I missed it at the end. What happened? Because I believe it got on the ship with her. Yep. But I, I didn't see like, did it end up dying in the end there? Or did she get to, she, she froze it in the pod, right? No, she throws it in the pod and then um, does her last thing. And it's, I think, She's like holding it at the end, so I don't know. Okay, okay, she definitely. But it it, that, it is, I think, able to be cryogenically frozen, Cause at which point, is good because she's cryogenically frozen for I think fifty seven years before the events of Aliens. So oh, and that's the Aliens is the second mm-hmm. one. Okay, um, yeah, no, there was definitely a point where I was concerned that uh, the cat got face huggered too because I think she left it for a while. And then the alien seemed to have been near it. And I was like, oh yes. man, what did it do to the cat? But but she goes back and gets it and it's fine. She throws it around a lot as she's getting into the shuttle. <laughs> she's lucky she brought it. Cause that, I mean, she's running for her life. So mm-hmm. props to Ripley. Opening credits are great. That's my first note. Oh, I like how it comes in just sort of like one line at a time across the screen. That's echoed in most of the sequels mm. and Prometheus, which Again, we, we were talking about this before the podcast, but at the time, really, Scott says it's not an alien movie. It's uh, definitely an alien movie. It's definitely an alien movie. Um, that's, you know, no longer really a debate. <laughs> but even that has the same kind of opening thing. You you took issue with the Chiron at the beginning for how much cargo the ship had. <laughs> I realize it's petty, but I'm just saying 20 billion tons is way too... 20, 20 million tons or 20 billion pounds is just... It's, it's too much. It's a ridiculous number. It's a, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. And I just didn't need it. You could have left the information out and I wouldn't have had to Google how much asteroids weigh to have a comparison. But <laughs> I think the opening does a really good job introducing you to this really specific aesthetic of the film. It brings you through the corridors up to really, I guess, the bridge of the ship before everyone even wakes up and it eventually gets to the humans. But that's a little bit later. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on just the overall look of the film? Because I think that's obviously one of the most iconic things about it. Well, definitely like the look of the film. I think, um, and this comes into like my 
pickiness with movies. I obviously don't watch a lot. So the in- opening scene that you you enjoy, it sets up the ship. I was like, this is too long, and you could have like <laughs> cut out like half of this because like it really doesn't start until the crew wakes up. I I get what you're saying now that mm-hmm. like that that's the the shot of like hey take in the scope of like the scenery, and, and I can appreciate that. But maybe like uh, let me have some context of what the movie is before you do that. I don't know, but that's a director thing and yeah. it's a well-known movie so i'm not gonna tell them how to, <laughs> how, to, how to how to change this like academy award winner or whatever so yeah what do you think about the general look uh honestly i'm a, a huge fan of like how grungy and dark and like disgusting it looks because i feel like a lot of like more modern like sci-fi movies it, it's always very pristine very white like you never see a cleaning robot or cleaning people but it's always spotless and I feel like it really speaks to like the style of how terrifying the movie can be because of how disgusting and dirty it is. One thing I didn't expect to really pick up on this time, but I did, was thinking in terms of what are the main touch points for people seeing this movie for space movies. And this is two years after A New Hope comes out. So that's the main thing. Hmm. A New Hope comes out in 1977, this 79, Empire Strikes Back isn't until the next year. So I look at this a lot of obviously really Scott had seen that before making this movie and it doesn't really mention this. I can't find any corroboration for this, but just my impression of it was this is anti star Wars in a lot of ways. Mm. It's gross. It's pessimistic. (laughs) It is. There's not really that much heroics. It's just, you know, you corporations are bad it's like a huge anti-capitalist message i think and here are these non-heroes who are just trying to get by yeah they're literally just playing delivery yes and um and i think that starts with the aesthetic it's not sleek it's kind of weird it has a lot of shots of the underside of the ship like the iconic opening of star wars but it's not straight lines it's bubbly almost it's Mm. like even the ship looks gross yep it's a lot of weird spheres that are at different intervals and yeah. just rugged usefulness. Nothing yes. about the ship is designed to be. No. And I don't even, it's don't barely know. aerodynamic. It looks like if it ever went into atmosphere, it would fall apart immediately. It, <laughs> I don't know if they were joking or not, but at one point the character mentions, I'll, I'll buy dinner before we all like, so even to the point of capitalism of like, they have to buy their own food on this ship that they're forced to live on. But I, I couldn't tell if that was a, a serious statement. I hope or not. so. I didn't pick up on that, but I hope they actually have to like go to a vending machine or something. <laughs> so that's pretty much where we start. Everyone wakes up in this scene that kind of echoes. It almost looked like egg pods. I think that's probably on purpose that where the humans sort of rise up from, yeah, but then they're essentially just having breakfast and you can tell it's a crew that, it's very much just people sort of giving each other a hard time, complaining about their wages, but not like in an angry way. And a car, kind of, this is obviously a conversation they've had many times way. So something I noticed right off the bat, and I'm sorry, but no, no, uh, so we got an endless amount of time. So go ahead. Definitely like a, uh, like a, a period piece kind of reminder. But so I, I'm a smoker. I've tried to quit smoking many, many times. And what I noticed was, so these people just got to cryogenically sleep their way through withdrawals. And the first thing they do, they wake up is start smoking again. And like, obviously that's what they do because this was the eighties and everyone was smoking like a chimney, but it was just like, it, it was a very weird, like you wouldn't see that today. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> 
It's like every other second someone's laying up a little cigarette. Absolutely. And they so look that, so cool. People it, smoking in movies look cool. So I'm sure that makes it just that much harder to not smoke. But. I mean, I'm sure the Jurassic Park scenes definitely contributed to me picking it up because that guy in the, you know, I'm too old for this shit kind of thing with the cigarette was, you know, he's awesome. Anyways. Yeah. Any thoughts? This, I don't know if you got cut off. But. Oh, um, <laughs> no, it's more like, I, I think the thing that you always notice is like, everyone's very groggy. Like, I feel like it's just like everyone's hungover, like they're like just barely eating some food, just drinking coffee. You know, no one wants to be there kind <laughs> of like idea when it first opens up. Well, and I mean, that explains the, oh man, I'm oh, awake. Yeah, Let me light up this cigarette. <laughs> so you mentioned that you kind of just like, okay, come on, let's get to the plot of the movie. I think at this point, it does a good job of not really laying out what's going to happen. It's just these people, they have a job. It's blue collar. They're just doing their job and they don't really want to, but this is what their contract says they have to do. Pretty quickly, they get the signal from, if I was more of a nerd for this, I would know the exact like planetoid, you know, LV2241 or whatever it is. Um, do you know? Uh, honestly, I have a shirt that's like Jurassic Park themed and it has like, I think it's LV426. That sounds right. So there you go. If yeah, if I was a little bit more nerdy about it, that's where I'd be. And then uh, and then we get to that planet. Is, am I missing anything else? I mean, it, there's obviously other stuff that happens, but for the main sort of broad brushes here. It was interesting. I mean, you brought up the contract briefly. I definitely like kind of dialed in on that because they were talking about, you know, they get this alarm signal and they're like, wait, we, we just need to get this, this crap home. Like we don't want to deal with this. And they're like, Oh, it's in the contract. We have to, res-. it's like, yep. what, do you guys have your contract? Because it seems like you're bound by like some ridiculous, like, Oh, if you don't do this, you lose your share. If you well, yes. like, wow, this is a ridiculous, um, corporation that yeah. they're working for i mean i my assumption is like any other job you're like yeah where's the dot line let me just sign this it, shit. It, like it's it's like yeah oh, exactly. hey uh do you want this patch for your phone well here do you want to sign and agree and you, no one fucking reads those things yeah no absolutely yeah it's immediately really the first action of the film are people saying hey that shouldn't that's obviously super dangerous we don't want to do that and someone being told, actually, in the fine print of your contract, it says you have to do this for no extra pay. <laughs> Just, you know, I signed up to be a minor, but I guess I have to make first contact where applicable. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's literally like written to their contract that they kind of have to. Yeah, that's because I, I, I was going to make a joke about it. And then they're like, no, it's in our contract. I was like, well, there goes that because I was like, why are they even doing this? The movie yep. wouldn't even happen. But it's like, nope, that is that is. Yeah, that would be your first question as a viewer. And it's smart enough that the characters are like, wait, I don't want to do this. Why are you making me do this? Oh, well, they don't want to do it either. Okay. We're on the same page. here. Yeah. Also in the beginning is the first time you realize that the, I guess it's an AI or just a VI running the ship is called mother where we're getting into the kind of gender and sexuality stuff that really Scott wanted to drill down on in this movie, which we'll talk about more as we go. Okay. Yeah, no, the choice of mother was definitely a little like uncomfortable because I, I just think of, it's always used weirdly if somebody's using the term like mother. Like it's it's never like a. I mean, you could also go with like Hal 9000. <laughs> yeah. Mean, you could just call it Siri. I mean, there's anything. Yeah, it could have been called, you know, just, just like a normal woman's name or something. But it's, no, calling it specifically mother is creepy i have to ask a mother like do you you're a grown man that's a little weird <laughs> yes yeah so that's that's definitely all on purpose the sort of discomfort that that gives you 
we pretty much get to the planet from there. Um, and just real quick, like you said, it does have a reputation of starting a little slowly. Oh. But this first, the first hour of the movie, maybe 45 minutes until Kane gets face hugged on the Crescent ship, which I think really Scott calls a croissant, whatever. Mm. Um, I just love it. It's it's like bad film crit to say this, but it's just got like such good vibes. I just list. Just love it sort of taking its time. It's like dark and moody and everyone's sort of just chilling out. I, I just love it. <laughs> I mean, I, I was only specifically mentioning that first opening mm-hmm. scene. As far as like the setup goes, I think it was a very interesting dynamic between the crew. Like my first thought of it was like, this is a sociologist's like wet dream because this is a very weird setup of like different individuals and there's only seven of them to do this whole mission. So it was a very yeah. unique like cast of characters, I think. Yeah, so you're looking at it like the real world on MTV pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and like again, I realize that movies aren't supposed to be yeah. viewed that way, but that's just where my No, I think that makes a ton of sense. That's that's totally something I think they're trying to drill down on too. Just the different the class divides even, you know, you got the different shares that people get. Yep. Um, I, I wrote a lot about how cool everything looks. So I'm just going through my notes right now. <laughs> if you guys want to jump in with anything else, but yeah, so we get to the planet, which you said the actual name of the planet. Yes. Cause I'm, uh, not, I'm a big nerd. And this is the first time that the, uh, HR Giger designs come in. He did the design for the alien and also this planet and the ship that they find the eggs on. And he's, and his partner, who worked on the Alien, they won the Academy Award for special effects that year. It's the only Oscar that this movie won. Um, but yeah, so we can start talking about sort of the the cooler, very dark, really unprecedented design elements that come into the movie once they get to this planet. I think when they were first on the planet, and to the like the slowness of the story i think i did zone out a little bit right when they first got out of the it's like, very the dark ship. and it's hard to see anything and i, I guess I, on purpose i feel like they mentioned something about the textures of the planet and i thought that was like interesting and i i, I related to that as like a, oh yeah if i was on some weird random like that would be something that stuck out to me but it was like a, a comment on like how organic and primordial it was which i thought was a cool like like that's a, a cool observation and that's where you would expect to encounter some weird random life source like maybe this is an alien experiment trying to grow new life that we ran into or or something i mean the mind goes endless places i happen to know it was going to chest bursters but you know it could have went anywhere it's weird that you bring up like an experiment to grow new uh beings and all because that is sort of what eventually the alien franchise gets around to (laughs) is like where uh, where these things came from and who made them and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So I, I because the pre- the predators built them. I just I wasn't sure if they. Oh, me, okay. Well, uh, that's the impression I got from the AVP movies is they, or maybe not built them, but they planted them places to hunt. So I guess that's a little different than building. Yeah, them. you don't have to worry yeah. about AVP's effect yeah, no, on it's canon. A, it's kind of like <laughs> hanging out there. It's more oh, like right, toward right. the like the actual like creation of them in the Promethean movie where oh. you find out that they're almost like biological warfare yeah so by by the way i'm very excited to like continue the watch of like i I need to watch the rest of this alien universe because i i was very pulled in so i I do want to specify as much criticism as i get i I think it's like a really awesome like very interesting concept so so yeah the the ridley scott movies which is the first one and then almost 40 years later he comes back and does prometheus and alien covenant those are all very specifically about 
the xenomorphs were developed as essentially chemical weapons gotcha. by the engineers. And also the engineers designed humans and then decided to kill all the humans by exposing them to these aliens. But Seems it didn't like a work. very long way to kill all humans. <laughs> it does, but that's what Prometheus is about. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, it's, it's definitely a wild ride. I yeah. mean, if you compare the two species, I mean, the aliens have it, right? I mean, we're we're not standing up to those. Well, like Ash says, it's a perfect organism, but that's way later. We don't even know Ash uh, can operate as only a head at this point. <laughs> so they're the three who go out on the planet is what Dallas Kane and Lambert, I want to say. Yes. yes, and they. Um, one thing that I had never really noticed before: the camera that's being fed back to the main ship for people there to watch what they're seeing through their helmets is it's, it's like a found footage horror movie all of a sudden. And I don't know of anything that came before that. I'm sure if I was a better, you know, an actual like film historian or something, I'm sure at some point someone had done that, but it, it just feels like there's a lot of movies, especially sci-fi found footage, horror stuff about, you know, the, you know, dark side of the moon or whatever. Cloverfield. Yeah. That. So, so that stuck out to me is, has this actually been done before that it doesn't dwell on it, but there's definitely like a found footage horror aspect to what's going on at this point. Mm. Um, they make it up to the ship. This looks so cool. This is one of the first times where it's really like, how did they do this? How big a set did they build for this as they're climbing into the ship? I assume some of it's matte painting, but it looks awesome Mm. as they're going through the ship. And it's just sort of creepy as they walk through the hallways. They're describing what they're seeing. And then everyone besides Kane wants to go back pretty much. (laughs) Um, Kane goes down what seems to be a pretty small hole that opens into a massive cavern. I was very... Like the the dynamics of it uh, to even I mean before that to get up to where the guy's sitting in the chair is like once we get up this wall it opens up I I couldn't really picture the the layout of this of this ship you're totally right that happens first before he gets down there is they find what for years was called the space jockey in Prometheus it turns out it's an engineer but we don't have to call it that because that's not a term that exists in this franchise for another thirty eight years or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the space jockey, the guy who kind of has like an elephant head, he seems to be in like a big chair, maybe looking at a telescope type thing. Um, one of the cooler sets maybe ever built. <laughs> it looks so cool. Yeah. I mean, my immediate thought was like knowing the face huggers and they showed like this giant being with a hole in the chest is like, oh, I want to see what that thing looks like. Like w- yeah. what can- comes out of something that large? Yeah. I think they even say it looks like he exploded from the inside. They do. Which, they do say that. That's just a great teaser for in a horror movie talking about people exploding from the inside. To to watch it like to from that view for the first time though, I would love to know what like an initial viewer in the seventies thought when they saw. Like, did they know that's what was coming? Like, was it like an obvious thought to you of like, oh, it's gonna burst out of their chest later too? Or yeah, I wonder. Um, it's impossible not to know that going in for like people who were born like us in the nineties, <laughs> right? Watched it as adults or even you know twelve year olds or whatever. Oh yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is another time where the beginning of the movie it's introducing you to this really industrial sort of practically 
conceived look, and now all of a sudden it's just, it's <laughs> this H.R. Giger referred, referred to the style as biomechanical, like blurring the line between, you know, humans and machines and aliens and machines. Just this vision of just awfully weird and unique sort of organic looking machines, more or less. Almost like Zerg-like. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you have, you've seen that look that's so much different than at this point, maybe you've only seen Star Wars as a space movie Hmm. or like much earlier B-movie type stuff. And then all of a sudden you're seeing this, which is really beautiful art direction, but also so just hellish, just looks so awful, but in like a really kind of pristine way. This is the first horror in space. I mean, what were audiences even expecting? They wouldn't know what to expect. We yeah. we see this all the time, but... Yeah, and no one's ever really done it like this again because it just looks so good. But um, not to harp too much on that, but that's obviously an important, iconic part of this movie too. So yeah, yeah. anything you want to add? No, I... Nothing I, about the elephant guy? I mean, I love the design of it. It definitely, like... Gives you the scale of how giant these beings were, yeah. where yeah. like they're the actors and actresses have to like climb over these things, and it probably was just a step for this guy. Like he yep. had to have been like what 15, 20 feet tall, yeah, sitting in his giant chair. Like, yeah, and, and I guess that makes more sense when they do get Kane, at least, is the only one who goes down into the chamber with all the eggs and it looks so massive. Yeah, mm. and then you have these guys like 15 feet tall. Yeah, it's probably at least like, twice as tall. Know, like 30 foot yeah. ceilings. Well, yeah. the, the rest of the crew must have went down there and they just didn't show it off screen because they did so have to, they yeah. had to carry it back. Yeah. So it's well, interesting that they, nobody just like, I mean, I probably would have brought an egg back, right? Well, like, my, my assumption is like hooked up to like the the zip line, well, the, oh, the cord. Just, oh, I think they just, them back. Yeah, I think they just pulled them right oh, back up. We did, we, that's the way to go. I mean, yeah, that's it, even smarter. It, it shows like latch onto his face, and then it just cuts back to the ship, and they're like driving Carry him back. Yeah, yeah. I definitely was curious about like what went on there, but I guess that's the most logical, like, because he he would have shown that if it wasn't important. That makes a ton of sense. Um, so for you guys. At what point would you have stopped? So everyone's like, let's go back. Kane's like, actually, drop me down this hole. Then he gets down there. He sees that there is um, like a mist represented by kind of crude, but still pretty awesome looking lasers that are covering the eggs. And he's like, well, obviously, I'm going to go under that layer. And then he touches it. It opens. Then he sticks his face just about right in it. So I feel like I wouldn't have gone down the hole personally. I feel like once you go down the hole and you see all the stuff, but like I feel like after you see there's some kind of organic material in there, you're like, hey, maybe I'm we good. should bring another team in here. Well, this is a bit too big of a, a ship for me. Even before it opens, he can see that there's something in the yeah, egg it's like swirling moving. around. Yeah, that that's a good point. I think in a, a thought I definitely had when they saw the big giant alien, they said organic matter, and they were like, he's been here so long, he's fossilized. So. Would I have gone down into the hole is a different question. I probably would have because of who I am as a person, but I know that's the wrong call. I would hope there's controls in place that prevent me from going down this hole, like teammates that are like, no, you can't go down that hole. But like, I mean, as a scientific mission, you would never let somebody go off like that, let alone start poking things. It's also really interesting that there was still like a actual distress call coming from the ship when he was only fossilized in a seat. Right. And I mean, the the electricity or the, the signal was still still going off um 
According to Prometheus, he's been there for 28 years. <laughs> 28? I think that's the full amount of time since that guy sat down in that chair. Okay, so a bit of a disconnect. Maybe he just looked like he was fossilized. Maybe they, they're born fossilized. I think they just were like, actually, that's not as interesting. Let's tell a different story. All right, 35 well, years later. Well, a little bit of retcon too. going on. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, I don't think I would have like touched the eggs. I, that That definitely would have... No, thanks. Yeah, no. if you get down there, you're like, I owe it to science to see what's up with these eggs. And then you look and you go, yep, there's living stuff in them. That's all I owe to science. I'm out of here. Well, and I think that's where you go with the question of like, what did the audience think when they first saw that burst open chest? Because you got to be thinking something clearly killed this guy. Yes. And yeah. then you go downstairs and this organic thing's still there. And it's like, oh, okay, how, well. Yeah, it's oh, like, how did these oh. things survive, but not this guy? <laughs> <laughs> On top of the fact that it would have been really interesting to see what happened if... um if the synthetic ended up going instead, because he volunteers. Yep. And he, you know, he was sent there for that. I mean, we'll get to that later, but I'm surprised he didn't make himself go like, I'm chief science officer. You have to let me go. But I guess he knew that like too valued of a position that he can't let him explore. Well, yeah, I mean, well, because the other interesting choice was the captain went, which put um, Ripley into the position we'll we'll get to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't decided to go. So the, the hierarchy is definitely very important with, yeah. with this movie. The I, I'm trying to imagine, and a lot of this will be us talking about trying to imagine what audiences thought the first time they saw this. But up until the face hugger pops out of the egg and latches onto Kane, I guess you don't really know the style uh, that the horror in this movie is going to take. Yeah, I mean, it could have been like the the maintenance people killing the crew. It could have been like a thriller that way. It didn't yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. have to be an alien. Yeah, you've seen, you know, not aliens like this, really. But this is, it's so violent and such a, a violation of Kane that it, it's really, yeah, no. Yeah, I'd love to know what audiences thought at the time. Mm. It was kind of not super well received, but pretty quickly established itself as a classic film. So I guess at the time people were just like, I didn't, I did not enjoy that. Well, if you think about it, I wouldn't picture people that really loved Alien necessarily being the people that really love Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So if their initial audience was people like that loved space from Star Wars, I mean, this gave birth to a different group of people that loved space. Like those are two different. Avenues oh, yeah. to go down, so that's yeah, it's, interesting. It's like, oh, this one's all space, like Jedi's and magicians and all this crazy stuff. And then there's, a, oh, if you go into space, this thing's gonna murder you. <laughs> Very different yep. stories. Very different stories. So from there, we cut back to the ship. Um, as you, as we talked about this already. That Ripley's the only one who doesn't want to let them in, and says, you know, when you're not on board, I have command, and I'm saying no quarantine for 24 hours or whatever. Ash lets them in anyway. Then there's a, a really great shot that I forgot about where you don't actually see the face hugger immediately. They're cutting the helmet off of Kane and then it comes off and you see it and it's gross and it has a sack because everything in this movie has a sack. <laughs> um, and it's just, I think this is, you see like the tail kind of tighten around his neck and stuff. It's, it's very slimy and very weird. slimy. Um, they try to cut it off him. Then they have to go on an acid hunt to try and find the acid as it goes through the ship, which is really cool. Well, and so that was an area where I got to like kind of experience as a new viewer because I, I knew 
alien blood is acid, but like I I forgot that going into this, right? Because I mean I haven't seen AVP for for years, so I saw it on his face and I'm and it like tightened his neck. I'm like, Just cut it off. What are you guys doing? This isn't a problem. So to see the acid when it came out, I was like, oh man, that's really cool. And like, yeah, no, you can't cut it off. Like, you can't kill it because it will just melt through his face anyway. Yep. It'll, it'll melt through his face. It's they oh, it they think maybe shit. it's what's giving him oxygen at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's got so cool. I put acid hunt. Everyone loses. Um, Ash is really shady. I my note says squirrely guy is squirrely. So I'm glad we were on the same page. Yep, that squirrely guy is squirrely. It's really funny because like I haven't watched it in like a little while. And yeah, like, same. Like refreshing it, you, you forget some things. But like Ash always stands out. Like going in, like knowing what happens to the whole movie. Like he's just like a bad time all, and he never really like expresses any form of emotion mm. it like there's like, some crazy things happening in the movie he's just very like stone-faced like he d- walks very bionically yes like, it's, it, he gives off a whole awful vibe it's the first the very first thing is the the sos and he's like no don't don't let them know like who cares and it's like it was just a very weird like i don't know why are you gonna stop them from giving more information one thing i appreciate about the newer alien prequels is that there's a synthetic on board each of the missions, but they they know it's a synthetic. It's not like a hidden part of it okay. because I think obviously a viewer going into that would be like, oh yeah, that guy's the robot. And then if you try and make a twist out of it, it'll seem a little silly. Mm. But again, at the time, this dude's obviously shady. I don't think you think he's a robot, though. No, no, not at all. I, I didn't think he was a robot. Um, I definitely thought he was like a plant though. Like it seemed like he, yes. he knew too he's much. working against the team, obviously. Yes. Yeah, there was tons of like ulterior motives going yeah. on. Like right before, like when they're investigating in the face huggers autumn, uh, there's a part where, um, Ripley goes to talk to him. And as soon as she walks into the room, he turns off the monitors and I'm like, Oh, that's like the universal. I'm up to bad shit sign. Yep. And then like, she tries to ask him a question and he goes to take notes against like blank monitors. And I'm like, really? Could he be any more obvious? Is that he's just like yep yeah just a whole lot of oh yeah you won't understand what i'm talking about and yeah i, I yeah, think she started to be a little suspicious of him by that point absolutely too. yeah pretty much since he opened the door against her orders yeah um, which is interesting because in a lot of situations that would be like a, we're gonna throw you in like you just violated orders that's a very big yeah. but it just seemed to there's only so many of them once kane's pretty much out of commission just you know one of the other six people on the ship. So I guess maybe from that, it's a little bit more leeway. Plus once Dallas comes back on, she's not actually the captain anymore. Hmm. And Dallas was telling them to open the door. That's true. So I guess it's just sort of, she has to sit on that. Hmm. After that scene, you get the one where the face hugger's gone, which is a great scene. I, this one, this is one that I pretty much never remember through the other kind of noisier, more, iconic scenes in the movie they make the decision to have a camera in a really low corner of the room and it's a pretty long shot of the three characters it's dallas ripley and ash who are searching for the face hugger in the room and it's just them like walking around and it's one of those things where you think about on the day obviously it's not real so it's just three people walking around a room and that's just movie magic turning that into something extremely tense. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I just like movies, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. On top of the fact, like, they just watch this thing latch onto someone's face. And they, yes. they all just willingly, like, yeah, let's all just look around for this thing. Like, yeah. what, what, what could possibly go wrong? I thought of that, too. Ash is a robot, obviously, but he's, like, feeling with his hand above sort of, like, the panels in the ceiling where he can't see where he's putting his hand. It's like, come on, dude. And the other people were, were, like, poking where they couldn't see. Like, let me make this thing jump out at me. Like, yeah. It's a surefire sign. And then there's not a ton of jump scares in this movie, which I appreciate because I don't, I think, you know, if they're done well, like this one where it falls out of the ceiling, that's one thing. But when they're cheap, it's, it's sort of cheap. As well, and as a viewer, you think like, oh, is it going to just like latch onto her face now? Like, is yep. this thing just going to latch onto a lot of faces? But no, it dies at this point. Uh, right. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And then shortly after that, it seems like Kane's fine. Hmm. yeah they're like oh yeah mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's grab something to eat yep yep but we're, they're like oh we're about to go to sleep and like nah let's let's have a meal first well, like i'm real hungry well and that's that's the point where dallas goes all right yeah let's have one more meal it's on me guys yeah and so and like i wasn't really sure if that was a serious statement or not but I, yeah i don't know but yeah so that's right I, I always forget that too that the plan is okay let's get back in the cryopods yeah and like the, i i thought about that as well because i was like what would have happened if he got into the pod like would the alien have been like in hibernation with him would it not have bursted out till they woke up like we'll never know we'll never know but that's a good point yeah would it have i guess it's i don't know if they specify that they're being frozen or if it's just some kind of other sleep but, that's true yeah like a mini coma kind of thing yeah so does it just jump out and like break through the glass and start rampaging through their yeah, ship while they're all asleep? Maybe, yeah. Because that'd be interesting too. Like, would it even decide to hunt them if they were just in pods the whole time? Yeah, I mean, it, it really seems like it's operating on animal instinct and eliminating threats. It's not necessarily seeking them out for food. So maybe, maybe like one at a time as it gets hungry, it would burst <laughs> through and grab one. But that's, yeah. I guess, it. Um, but yeah, obviously, they don't make it to the cryopods because this is one of the most famous scenes in the history of the medium happens. I don't know if there's anything necessarily new or fresh we can say about it, but uh, what do you, you know, it's the chestburster scene. What are your what are your hot takes? My hot take was like, this uh, alien really should have just let him stay in a coma and then burst out of the chest. I feel like it benefits everybody all around, but for the horror jump scare, that's a lot yep. less scary for the viewer than being awake for because that's just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So this is something that you saw as like a 12-year-old? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was, that was very scarring. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's also one of those things where it, like, it's so iconic that you still like kind of go back to it be like, Oh, does this scene still like hold up after all these years? And I, I mean, I say it does. Um, it super does. I think the reactions from the people around it, it's obviously a puppet, but the best thing though, is that they didn't tell them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, go for it. Though. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> like when they film this, they're like, Oh yeah. Like you're just going to hang, hang here. You're going to have breakfast. And, like something's going to happen. And they had no idea. So it like, was going to be to that extent. Kane knew he had to like act like he was. Gonna- yeah. So his, he's, his body's under the table and the chest is like pretty much a puppet. Pretty much his, oh, his head okay. sticking through a table. Um, and then it's on hydraulics to push the actual thing out of his shirt. The first time they do it, it doesn't break all the way through, but they use that take anyway because it looks like it's struggling and it's more violent uh, to get out. It doesn't like bust through the shirt. So when you see it, like it's obviously out, but it can't get through the fabric yet. <laughs> um, 
they used real like animal blood and guts Ah. and didn't tell the cast that they were going to use real animal blood and guts. So some of the shocked expressions is pre-shocking. The people who made this movie literally splattered these people with my guts without telling them in advance, which is pretty messed up. Apparently it smelled terrible. Yeah. Uh, Yafit Koto, who plays Parker, and I think he actually just died like last year. Um, Apparently, and some of this is IMDb trivia, which is never actually sourced, so who (laughs) knows? But according to IMDb trivia's page, there he went home that day and like locked himself in a room and wouldn't talk to his wife because it was like such such a scarring experience um to wow. be in the room when this scene happened which i get a lot of people apparently were like okay i guess we're done for the day because how do you keep working after that that's pretty nuts <laughs> yeah and ethically questionable on the parts of ridley scott or whoever made that decision but I guess it it lent it led to a really iconic scene, and those reactions are what makes it so good even today. I mean, to be I I don't know if it makes it better or worse, but that's probably the most mild thing I've heard of a director doing that was horrible to get a reaction out of sure. cast members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, he also told Yafik Koto to continually annoy Sigourney Weaver so that there would be real tension between them. That's who plays Parker, one of the maintenance people who seems to legitimately annoy Ripley. So gotcha. uh, something that Kodo said he he wished he hadn't had to do because he thinks that she's a really nice person and felt bad about it afterwards. <laughs> so that that's more of the kind of director stuff you usually hear about. Mm. Not just like throwing intestines at their cast and crew. Um, yeah. Just a regular day for Jared Lowe. At that, <laughs> so at that point, we talked about this, the tiny puppet that speeds off across the, the table... I don't know why. It's just, it's so good. I don't know how else to qualify it. It just reminds me of the old sci-fi movies, like on the sci-fi channel, like the the made for TV ones. Like I would watch a whole movie of that thing, like just running around chasing people, little one. It's scary. No doubt. Um, Yeah. Any, any thoughts on this stage of the Xenomorphs life cycle? (laughs) I I feel like I don't have too much to say because that only really happens for like five seconds. And then it's like, it's like, oh, hey, like it's, it's way bigger. One of the things I always forget is, like you said, instantly it's way bigger. That's another thing that you cannot possibly be expecting that just a few minutes later, the next time you see this, it'll be twice as tall as any human in the ship. Um, But we're pretty much in kind of pedal to the metal mode from this point till the end of the movie. They immediately get, it looks like a flower, like watering can, but I guess it's some kind of homing device. <laughs> that they use it's there's there's no real concept of time no they break into teams to try and find this thing but really it's ripley parker and brett who peel off they're in the garage where all the big trucks are they find jones instead who makes a, a lot of appearances in this film doesn't really help too much but jones the cat is messing with their radar system. So they say, oh, we need to grab that. They immediately say it's Brett's fault for not putting the net on it the first time they find it. Yeah, they're like, oh, man, it's just a poor cat. We got to let go. And they're like, oh, no, um, we're looking for something small. We can't have something else small here. Right, yeah, it's messing up the radar. And Brett, you should have grabbed that. So it's on you. You go find it by yourself now. 
Which net was an interesting choice to begin with. I don't know what they thought they were going to do with this net when I they mean, found that thing. <laughs> it's maybe only been 10, 15 minutes since it jumped out the dude, and it was smaller than Jones at that point. No, that's true. I mean, also, yeah, I it guess was longer, have, maybe, but tiny. They wouldn't have like anything like crazy hunting equipment, I guess. It's probably no. like, oh, this is a net that we kind of use to hold cars. I just, I just love the optimism. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no one was coming. That's a, that's a good point. They're not... So much of this is... These are people who this was not their mission and they do not have the correct tools for this yeah, task. Everything's very on the fly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the, the flamethrowers are just like, all right, I can go whip these together. Like it yep. was an, an improv. Yeah. He does a good job whipping those flamethrowers together. But what we see next is, um, wet chains, wet chains. So, so weird. So Brett goes into a different part of the garage by himself and um, stands under an extremely aggressive leak for a very long time, takes his hat off, stares right into the water, and then keeps walking. <laughs> I don't know why he does that. My guess is that it's just because like everyone's very gross and sweaty through this entire movie. So I don't know if they have any, like, like AC or anything. Like It just must be real gross. I wrote, he should be concerned and ask about the liquid and chains. Uh, if you're on a spaceship and there's that big of a leak, I feel like you should be more concerned. Uh, I, I mean, I guess it's more like just like condensation because we don't know what the right, rooms are yeah. for. That's that's what I figured, too, is it's like that's where, you know, their central air system is, you know, converting to cold air or whatever. It, to me, it just seemed like he was walking into their wet chains room that everyone knows exists and you just you go in there and there's chains and they're wet because there was also no discernible purpose for the chains yeah they just seem to hang from nothing another imdb trivia uh shout out the room where brett gets taken out by the xenomorph was a point of contention between every time it mentions ridley scott it says sir ridley scott between sir ridley scott and the producers they didn't understand why there would be water pouring or chains dangling in a ship such as this Scott, feeling he needed the extra movement, stuck to his guns. So Ridley Scott went, because wet chains are cool. Okay. And I think they look cool, and it's my movie. <laughs> All right. So yeah, wet chains. It's a good point. Why are there wet chains dangling in this room? Well, so like Will's point was cool. a good one of like, I think it was to show their tradespeople, he's like, working hard and this is a refreshing like drop for him but i think the shot would have been better with like a pipe that was leaking rather than these massive amounts of like waterfall chains it is creepy because there is like movement and you don't know if that's that's just them swaying or maybe a massive alien about to kill brett Mm. uh turns out it's both kind of i love that this scene is sort of played out by seeing jones the cat react to this (laughs) Um, Brett's trying to grab him. He finds him like in a corner and Jones starts coming out, but then starts hissing because he sees a massive alien descending from the ceiling behind Brett. But Brett doesn't think anything of it and then turns around. This is the first time we see the big version of the Xenomorph. Any thoughts on uh, big alien? <laughs> big alien was really cool. Oh, um, agreed. I, I definitely like seeing that. The cat scene, I was like, this guy clearly isn't the cat owner because if my dog was like freaking out about something, I'd immediately turn around and be like, what are you freaking yeah. out about? But uh, it was a giant alien, so that's something to freak out about. He's obviously annoyed by the cat. Yeah, no, he was not. So yeah, he's cat. like, oh, stop hissing. Just like, let's go. This cat was trying to save his life. You got to yeah. listen to the cat. You, you know the cat's definitely like clawed him a few times. <laughs> yeah. If it would have clawed anyone, it would have been him for sure. Mm. 
They did a great job with the alien, though. I will say the the initial chest bursting alien was, especially for the seventies, greatly done. They they knew they had to make the the middle form just quickly off screen, and then they did a great job with the the new one. And so that's Geiger guy. Yep. Yep. Uh, H.R. Geiger makes this design from. Uh, to get a little into the weeds, we don't have to spend too long here, but he was already an artist who had produced a book called The Necronomicon. It's Necronom 4 that Ridley Scott was shown by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the movie, who thought this guy would make a, a we would do a really good job with the character design, uh, with the creature design, sorry. And um, so if you look at Necronom 4 by H.R. Giger. It does look like what the alien looks like. He gets hired onto it and tells Ridley Scott, like, I can make one from scratch. And Ridley Scott says, no, nah, it'll take too much time. Just make it look like this thing you already did. Oh. But adapt it so it's more of what we can, like, stick a guy in a suit and have him chase people around a spaceship in. So, yeah, that's basically where the design comes from. Um, Ridley Scott liked that it was... I think the way it's put is like it has sexual undertones. Um, didn't quite get that. You didn't? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'd go with the the tongue. Okay, I yeah. guess the tongue. Yes, it's extremely phallic. It's what it mostly kills people with is that. And yeah, we we can talk more about that in its own section at the end. But just for the from the character design perspective, that was also. I mean, that's what won H.R. Giger an Academy Award. Um, he shared it with the guy who made the actual mechanical parts of the head. I think it's made up of over 900 parts, the actual head of the thing. So that was something I absolutely noticed. I think at the end, I could tell that it was a person in a suit at a certain point, like yeah. I, that clicked. But seeing it for the first time, I was curious, like I, I didn't even think that there was a person inside of it. I was trying to figure out how else they they did this because it really does not look like a person in a suit, which I think was major credit for the times. Yeah, absolutely. W- would you say that looks very alien? <laughs> it was alien. It was that very alien to me. Pretty alien. Absolutely. Well, that's the other thing. They had to come, well, I guess Geiger already came up with it. I was going to say they had to like think of what aliens would look like and this was a good design. It was a good design. Um yeah, his his stuff is pretty nightmarish, but also beautiful, I guess, is what Ridley Scott said. And that's what drew him to it. And good thing it did, because, you know, there's there's so many ways you can go with that. I guess they were so excited about what the alien looked like that they didn't even tell the dude who wrote the novelization for it what it looked like. And they kept it like really close to keep it, you know, to try and make it a surprise, which, hmm. you know, good for them. Absolutely. That's a cool thing to do it's on screen for a total of around four minutes in the movie it doesn't pop up until like about an hour in so same rules as jaws on screen for about four minutes they knew their limitations less is more yeah absolutely less is more i think you could do that with modern movies a lot i think uh people get really tied up and it gets overwhelming the the hints of it are a lot scarier than actually seeing it for sure yeah and that's something that's you know, a problem in a lot of the alien sequels is that they don't have that element of surprise anymore. So they're like, what if we show you a bunch of them? <laughs> Does that make it cooler? I mean, I thought the queen was pretty cool. Yeah. And it works in aliens because that is like, well, you already know what it looks like. So this one's going to be an action movie <laughs> instead of like a thrilling 
horror-ish movie. That just sparked like a, a weird memory because these movies have been on like TV from time to time. Sure. Oh, yeah. is, is there like oh, a yeah. scene where this big alien is chained up? Oh yeah, and it, it poops AV- out eggs. That's is that that's where the eggs come from. Oh, I think because you've seen um, AVP. AVP, it's, it's chained up down below. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, it's okay. in like a big pyramid or something. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Yep, and it just has like a conveyor belt where it just like poops out the eggs from the the weird like sack thing everything's got sex yeah everything has sex it's interesting so then it they know it's in the ducts this is where dallas goes to the mother room and he's on the computer and it it says what are my chances and it says does not compute great line from a computer my uh my note there was dallas asked the real questions (laughs) like after asking everything else he's like all right cool just tell me what my chances are Nah, i can't even do that yeah god damn it (laughs) Yeah, for an advanced uh, AI that's supposed to, you know, pilot the ship and do all those things, it seems very useless. (laughs) Up next is the ducks scene where Dallas dies because he had to, obviously. And um, I feel like this is my pull, like my mental reference point for any time there's a kind of like a homing signal or some kind of beeping and inevitably they'll lose track of it and then they'll be like, oh no, it's coming right for you right at the end and then it kills the guy. Happens a lot. This is always my pull for like, I don't know if they did it before them. There's a little bit of that in Jaws, which is a few years earlier, but I think I'd still give the credit here for it being, you know, I don't know. Don't go in the air ducts. (laughs) The plan seemed sound, I guess, up until it came to like, I, I guess they were going to try to scare it with fire. Yeah. I don't know if that was the best call. I, maybe they were hoping it was going to burn, but like I get corral it and launch it into space. That's really the only thing you guys can do yes. with this thing. Yeah. I think what doesn't help is that this, the ship is so massive that there's so many air vents where like, it's like, oh, it's right on top of you, but it's really like a, like a level up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and the tracking technology was not even great. I mean, they no, were they, they the lose future, track of it like right at the worst time. Couldn't do that. But I think if they had it, it might have worked. But I also think that maybe it, it wouldn't have because the person who suggests using fire is Ash. And he's more just like in a from a scientific standpoint of like, I don't know if it'll work, but let's but I want to know if it does or not. Not in a, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my takeaway from the aliens was like, oh, wow, they were just put into an impossible situation. Because they, they even, they did have guns, but you can't shoot this thing. It's going to melt all the way through your hull. Like, there's yep. no, you have to either get it out or kill it without it bleeding. Because if it starts yeah. to bleed, you're, you're just screwed. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and that was just a little face hugger. Like, yeah, it was like just a, the finger of the face hugger. It wasn't even like a a full incision. This was like a drop of its blood. I mean, yeah. yeah so that's just as Ash says, pretty soon, but not quite yet. It's a perfect organism. <laughs> um, so Dallas gets it pretty bad, and this one, this is the one time where the xenomorph doesn't quite work for me because it's like dark, and then there's a light on it. And it's like, give me a hug, and, you know. <laughs> I, th- I think that's where I saw that it was like a yeah and you're like oh it's a dude, <laughs> it's a dude. yeah it just kind of like waves its hands a little yeah bit. it kind of goes I'm scary yeah. <laughs> I did think it was a weird choice that they chose not to show the bodies that much I think right at the end they did like a, a, a yeah. quick flash to the t- but like you don't see Dallas after the alien gets him he's just gone nope that's part of the I guess issue for them and makes it even scarier is they don't know what's happening to the bodies. Cause they're, they go, you know, what happened to Brett? And they're like, 
he took him into the ducks. We don't know. We don't, we lost him after that. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so I think that just sort of ends, uh, adds up to it. So now Dallas is gone and that means that Ripley's in charge and immediately she's fighting with Parker and there's a morale breakdown. They're down to just Parker, Lambert and Ash and Ripley. Obviously they split up. Um, Ripley goes to mother and gives an override code to say like, what is the real mission? Cause obviously something weird's going on. She does like a few queries and is like, Oh no. Blocked by science officer. Yes. Oh, shady guy. Okay, cool. Yep. So she overrides it and it, and it tells her finally what the real mission is, which is the transport of this specimen back to the Wayland Utani corporation and all the crew is expendable. Weird choice, right? I mean, if that's what they wanted, they should have sent a specialized crew to go get an alien and bring it back. I don't know why they had to infect someone to bring this thing back. I think that they have been on the lookout for these signals, and so it's just like... If you come across it... Yeah, you gotta go get it. So, I mean, these people are really out in the middle of nowhere, so they don't know how long, if they'll miss their chance, if they like wait to send another crew... Or they just don't care about these people and they're like, oh, it's fine. Program the ship to come back. You guys will all die. It, it seemed almost like they were planning on this specific crew to get it because this was Ash's first mission. Like uh, Ripley asked Dallas, like, have you yes. worked with him before? So it just seems like a weird, like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's dystopian. They're You're a shitty wrong, company. Actually. It's just a little odd that they like didn't. I feel like you'd be more successful if you told people what they were going to get. Maybe people would yeah. say no. I mean, maybe that's another thing. I think maybe for that is because, like, they say, like, Ash does hop on, like, I think it's only, like, two days or something. Right, like yeah. That. I was going to say, so Dallas my- says, oh, there's a guy I've worked with for, like, five missions, and then two days before, they're like, actually, Ash is coming with you. So, so my guess is that they got the distress. They needed anyone expendable. No one really cares about a cargo ship. people like we don't know the rest of the universe there's pirates or whatever so it's like oh go with them they're gonna pass by on the way change the course or whatever and then they they stop off and grab it you're not gonna send your top scientist to go investigate what might just be like background radiation signals or something like that doesn't lead to anything that makes sense have your crew check it out if they find something great if they don't whatever yeah there is something i picked up on that um, I guess it's just part of the sound design that's so good throughout the movie with just like little weird chittering and computer noises happening throughout when Ripley's in the mother room. And I assume the other times, but it's only this last time that anyone's in it that I picked up on it. There's like a weird muffled breathing happening in the background hmm. that is, is muffled enough that it could be like computer fans or something. But I think it's supposed to also kind of sound like breathing again, the whole biomechanical thing that it's going for throughout the movie. Just something that I thought was cool. What, what uh, I did find interesting with, I mean, we're about to get that with uh, questions. That yeah. You, all the doors make a lot of noise, like coming from yeah. that. And we never do hear the door open for Ash to come in. Nope. He's just kind of there all of a sudden. I, I and Ripley doesn't like, seem surprised the, either. Yeah. I feel like it's supposed to get the like very suspensefulness coming. It's like, Oh, I found out we're all expendable. And then, you know, yep. it's just there. And uh, he says, I can explain, and she doesn't want him to explain. <laughs> yeah, like, y- you know it's not going to be good when... Uh, I would have loved to hear him try, though. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like, wait, no, Leah, let him explain. Like, all right, what do you got for this? Come on. If he feels like he has an explanation, which he doesn't really need to give, 
Yeah, I mean, no. it's worse that you're saying you could explain. Like, you should have been like, oh, my God, I didn't know about this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, all of it says, like, blocked by the science officer. So <laughs> It said only for the science officer's eyes. Yeah, maybe he just so hasn't So I'd be checked. like, oh, I just I haven't seen that. I didn't realize, like, I would have opened it if you asked me to. <laughs> so then they go back to sort of the main hub room. There's only so many rooms you actually see on this massive ship. But they go back to the main hub room. Ash closes the doors that Ripley's trying to go through and then they then they fight and he tries to choke her in a very weird way. That was going to be another weird choice for me. He like yeah. rolls up a magazine and then like puts it in her mouth the long way <laughs> for lack of better terms. When is she still isn't there still like a hole she can breathe through? I, I, I mean the why not my, just hand over like the face? That's so my suspension of disbelief. Like what I what I told nose? myself was he was going for making it look like a, a face hugger killed her because maybe okay. he was still trying to like I'm gonna survive this and I don't want people to know I murdered people. So like oh she got choked by the face hugger, but I guess like the egg didn't plant or something. This one was infertile. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he's doing that and is gonna try and like force feed or something. But oh. Maybe. But there's nothing there that he tries to force fear with. He just kind of holds it in her mouth. She's like, "Stop it!" She seemed to be choking though. Still, I don't. Her yeah. nose was still open though. So yeah, I just, I don't... she's bad at breathing. Everyone knows it's, it's, a, bad. it's a bad choice. It's kind of terrifying when he uh, grabbed the guy's chest and just started squeezing. I thought he was going to rip his heart out. Is where yeah. I thought that was going. Going like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom style, just zoom it out. Did we know he was a robot at that point? Because I think that's where I definitely like started to get ideas that he was a robot. Yeah, it was like um, Ripley pushes him away, and he kind of hits his head off the the wall, and yeah. that's why he kind of drips the, the, the white, white goop. Yeah, once he starts dripping milk. And yes. I'm like, oh, well, um, this definitely isn't right. <laughs> yeah, it's not blood. Yep, so that's Parker and Lambert come back, and they're like, hey, stop murdering. Um, and then they all get in a fight, and that's some really good effects Ash's head gets knocked off, but he's still fighting. Mm. Um, he eventually goes down, and it's just like, again, the grossest biomechanical things possible, which is just like milky orbs and li- what looks like horrible thick pasta mm. com- coming out of the dude. Yeah. But it's, you know, to ease a machine, but it looks so gross. I, I mean, it, the the android fight aspect was just as scary as the alien aspect, I think. So this is a really good job done there. You kind of had two, like, villains, and you didn't know one was a villain. Ridley Scott would be very pleased to hear you say that, because that's what he thinks oh, okay. is the scarier part of the franchise, supposedly at this point, based on the last couple movies he made. That's what I think about any horror movie, the human aspect. I mean, if you've seen Stephen King's The Mist, that movie's terrifying, and it has nothing to do with the monsters. I yeah. mean, the supermarket is way scarier than the outside. I think I'd take my yep. chances outside. So a lot of zombie movies are that. 28 Days Later is that. Yeah, it, it's. I, I like that. I think that's a good, like, meh. Yeah, that's uh, always humanity is the worst part. <laughs> Always. Um, Hell is empty. All the devils are here. <laughs> exactly. What else do we get? Yeah. So again, it's, it's another sort of old trick where um, Ash's Ian Holmes, the actor, his body's under like a floor and his head's just poking through it Oh, okay. um, for where his head's off. And they, they kind of like re, you know, wire him. It seems like they kind of hot wire him to wake him up and, this is when he gives his monologue about how it's a perfect organism. And uh, 
the the end of that's so perfect. Correct me if I don't get it perfectly right, but he says you. They ask him like what he can do, and they say nothing. But you have my sympathies, pretty much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, he kind of smiles. Great. <laughs> I, I love that part because my first thought was like, oh, great. Classic, like, defeated villain. He's just going to tell them everything about the alien now. And then when he gets to the end and he's like, it's just a perfect organism, I'm like, oh, well, it really doesn't matter what he tells these people. Like, he could tell them absolutely everything. There's no way in hell they're going to survive this thing. Yep. That's, that's pretty much what he says. Like, it doesn't matter. I, you know, what do you want to know? As much or as little, but it's not going to matter. Um, he says he admires its purity. They decide, you know, F it, let's blow up the whole space station. And I wrote, I admire that's purity. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. So is it a perfect organism? Do we agree with that? I mean, I'd say, depending on your definition, it knowing what happens throughout like the rest of the series and everything else, like it, it doesn't need anything. Like it needs right. a host, but it seems like the eggs have been there for a while. It, they still survived, you know. It somehow grew to like nine feet tall in about five minutes, as what it feels like in the movie. Um, and I mean, it seems like it can just kind of hibernate in a wall. Like it, it is incredibly smart too. Like it knows exactly what everyone's doing through the entire movie. It never really makes a mistake. My my question would be more of like a, a philosophical nature because it's it's what is the goal of an organism is if it's to be an excellent killer and to like be able to reproduce and survive then like yeah it's it's a perfect organism but it doesn't have like wants or, or desires it's it's just a killing machine I mean it's no more a perfect organism than the android is a perfect organism in my opinion I mean even birds and animals want to go out and play like you can see puppies playing you're not going to see an alien it, it doesn't do things for joy it just kills it's not going to take a yeah. dog for a walk which is great and like in, by that definition absolutely i agree that it's a perfect organism yeah. but so yeah so it's kind of people it's sort of damning that mindset i think because you're totally right it's a perfect organism if your definition is this is a weapon this is a tool yep and that is the definition of Ash, who is in there as a surrogate, basically, of the corporation, the Whaling yutani Corp. Faceless robot. Yeah. And he, they want it as a weapon. They want it as a tool. They don't want it as, you know, a pet. The new life <laughs> form. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. we, if we think of first contact, I want to, like, talk and converse with aliens. They wanted to go pull a weapon from space. Yep. That's very yeah, that's exactly goals. right. That's exactly right. So, yeah, that's... Essentially, it from here on, we're in endgame stuff. I think at that point, they she doesn't start the self destruct sequence yet, but Ripley goes and sort of primes it while Lambert and Parker go and uh, I forget that they need to collect enough coolant. Coolant, yeah, they need to collect enough coolant to get the, I believe it's the power like the, to work. like the life support. <laughs> Okay, yes, because there's going to be three of them. Yeah, Yeah. so she rushes there. She's like, oh, I'm going to prep the, like, the ship to escape. Like, disengages everything, gets everything ready. And then before she even goes to, like, set up the self-destruct, like, the other two are already having a bad time. (laughs) Yeah, she's, like, can hear them because they're being the loudest they possibly could be. But I, I kind of appreciate the sort of humanity that's still on display here because... 
it seems like they're trying not to be loud. And the very first thing Lambert does is super loud. And then you can tell she kind of just goes like, well, fuck it then. And it's like, let's go fast then. <laughs> if Screw we it. can't let's be just... quiet, let's be fast. Yeah, exactly. Um, doesn't work though. The alien does catch out to them. Lambert refuses to get out of the way. So Parker can't use the flamethrower and instead tries to leap at it. Yeah, seemingly just, just tries to body him. Yeah, just tries to body him. What was what was uh, I'm curious, like what other people felt about the scene where she wouldn't move out of the, the way? Was it frustrating for you? What, what do you what was your feelings there? I think I'd say it's just like she doesn't seem like the most stable person through the whole movie. Yes. And just like is always very horrified, which I feel like is a terrible quality for someone traveling through space. Um, yes. Because space is terrifying. But she just freezes up. There's nothing she can do. There's this giant monster she already knows has murdered half of her friends that yeah. she spent this journey on and just is helpless. And I mean, at, at that point, I don't know if he made the best decision to try and body her, but I, I feel like just, you know, cooking both is kind of a little better option. I think that's what you have to do in that situation. Yeah. Uh, You're like, okay, well, well, Lambert's going to die because they won't get out of the way. So, Like, either way, she is dead. I think at that point, the other character goes, I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to fire. Either you're going to get flamed or you're going to get eaten. So. Yeah. Yeah. The thing to do there is like, okay, on three, dive out of the way and I'll turn this on at the same time. And if she and doesn't we'll die, you, you, you yeah. tried. But it, like, I was annoyed at first. And then I, as soon as like the scene passes, you think about it and you're like, that's exactly what that person would do. Like, she, yeah, she, she froze. She I, that, that's my take, too, is that. I mean, she is up against a wall. There's not really like a corner she can hide behind. Yeah. But she could have came forward. So in a vacuum, yeah, there's not really anything you can do. But the other dude's about to distract it. So be like, she's like, get out of the way. Be like, okay, I can't. If I move, it's going to pounce on me. But you do that and then I'll like try and get out of the way. Well, we don't I'm going to I'm going to be a little bit on fire, but I'll jump out of the way and then start rolling. I don't know. And the alien, <laughs> I mean, theoretically, has never seen fire before. So that could be a shock to the system. I mean, yeah. you, get, you get one. <laughs> I think that is. So it's funny you put it that way, because that is eventually it's established that fire doesn't really affect them in the alien stuff because oh, they can this blood is acid i, right, I don't yeah. know what you think fires they can be survive like. being in like molten lead i think and <laughs> then um in the game alien isolation from what 2014 something like that it's been a little bit yeah it sounds about right so that's a game that came out and was really popular but just in case you're listening and you don't know a lot of it is you kind of going room to room through this space station hiding from a xenomorph. Mm. You, you know, you can hide in lockers, under tables, all that stuff. You can get a flamethrower, and the first time you use it, it will scare the alien away. The second time you use it, it won't. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's going to be safe because it is the perfect yep. killing organism. It's, yep. it's going to back up, and then it's like, oh, that's, that's all you got? Uh, yeah, exactly. So you can use fire to sort of direct it early in the game, but then it, like, learns that it can just walk through it pretty much. Yeah. Uh, did they establish what electricity does to them? I was kind of curious about that. That I could see maybe. Uh... We'll never know. I mean, they did grab the cattle prods to find the little one, but I mean, mm -hmm. we never even saw them. Saw that. Try. So. They should have kept on with those. I feel like that's a, not a terrible idea. Right? Yeah. True weakness is baking soda. You just sprinkle it on them, gets in their bloodstream, acid, base. Come wow. on. <laughs> they right? should have had you. <laughs> I think that would be a terrible movie if the, the bad guys killed my baking soda in the end. 
almost like a uh, one dying from you know oxygen or water. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so yeah, I put Lambert just standing there. <laughs> uh, Ripley on her own, blowing it up time. So yeah, this is all all hero shit from this point on. Pretty much every frame of the rest of the movie is iconic. It's miss something. She yeah, yeah, she yeah. starts the self destruct. Why did she go and try to turn it off? What, what was the goal there? Because she ended up going back to the ship anyway. I I I didn't understand. Did I miss something? I think it was like her trying like self preservation because she's like, oh, I'm not gonna make it now because the alien was blocking the path. Oh, it was okay. Okay. But I mean, also, I don't know why she spent so much time trying to find this cat. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does go back for Jones. So to your point, I meant to try and find out. I feel like I am missing the specifics of why she does go back and try to disengage the self-destruct sequence. Yeah. I feel like I would have tried to get it to chase, follow me. Yeah. I'd I'd run the other way, but like she wastes a lot of time and she's stationary. I I don't know if I'd ever be stationary after the the death of the other two. That it is smart though, that they designed it. It's not smart that the people who made the fictional ship fictionally designed it this way but from a movie standpoint there's so many steps where she just has to be like in a noisy room to get this thing to work or to turn this thing off and you're just like oh my god very high stakes <laughs> it, it seems like she even got it too and the tech just was like buggy and went through anyway yeah. and that's like my favorite because that's classic corporate america <laughs> yep she calls mother a bitch and then she's like <laughs> it smashes the consoles like well i guess i'm out of here yep um so at that point she had already run through the hallways and seen Parker and Lambert and I think had already almost encountered the alien, but then ran back. That's when she leaves Jones behind, I think. Okay. Um, But then is like, no, actually I do want to bring Jones with me. Well, it was, um, that was the path right to the the airlock that led led to the escape pod. Yeah, exactly. So she goes back, even though there is a brief shot of the alien kind of looking at the cat, like what's up with this cat. Um, Cat's still there. She picks it up, does this run. There's a lot of really cool stuff that happens here that is just carried essentially on a strobe light effect and close-ups on Sigourney Weaver's face <laughs> of her looking really terrified, but unlike Lambert, still able to like push herself to keep going. To go, yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just awesome. She does a great job. Her, her eye acting is awesome in these scenes where she's still on the ship before she gets to the shuttle. And uh, she gets there. She's tossing Jones around. It ends up on its side. It ends up kind of toppling over the case that the cat's in. It was and, a solid steel cat carrier, though. That was yeah. impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, we can imagine that in the scene that where Ripley was back in the control room, the alien was trying to get into the cat case. Couldn't do it. Uh, if only I was cut. Yeah, if only. <laughs> so eventually we get onto the shuttle and uh, Ripley thinks everything's fine. She gets off right, not right before, but she gets off with enough space to not be caught in the blast when the sh- ship self-destructs and then takes all her clothes off. And that's so, what you want to talk about? Y- y- so okay. hold, so <laughs> up, up into this point, we have another uniqueness in a movie, right? This is a horror movie where there's been no gratuitous female nudity for no goddamn reason, right? Every single other horror movie has that shot. And I am I know we're at the end of the movie. 
last 15 minutes. Let's have her take off her clothes. And for some reason, she's got a plumber's crack the entire time. Mm-hmm. I mean, weird choice. They do not fit very well. I do see it as being like a, she was like vulnerable now. That's why she was like, she took her clothes off. It's kind of like a shut, but I don't know if it's necessary, I guess. I, I think it was more just to prepare for the next scene as it was, or, or actually she is undressing to get into the cryopod. Yeah. So. And she does feel, you know, secure. <laughs> I read an interview with uh, Sigourney Weaver about this because I was also like, I, if I was stretching, I could say, well, you know, she's just seen a bunch of her friends die over the last couple days, is covered in some of their blood and stuff. So I'm just going to take these clothes off. She thinks she's alone, so whatever. And um, what she said, people have said to me, oh, how could you demean yourself by doing a strip tease? And I say, are you kidding? After five days of blood and guts and fear and sweat and urine, do you think Ripley wouldn't take her clothes off? Uh, It never occurred to me for a second that people would think my strip was exploitative. I think it's kind of provocative. You're almost seeing me through the alien's eyes. Suddenly I go from this dark green animal to this pink and white animal. Hmm. So she thought in that point it's sort of highlighting the human vulnerability that it's just you know, her in her most basic form at that point. She didn't think it was exploitative at all. She also says in that same interview, she thought it was kind of unfair because the aliens naked the whole time. So she thought she should take all her clothes off. But the people making the movie were like, no, don't do that. And she said, because of the kind of fan mail she gets now, she's very glad she didn't take all her clothes off. (laughs) That's hilarious. Good for her. That's Yeah. So, yeah, pretty... uh, I thought she had, obviously, it's her saying it. It's a pretty interesting take on that. (laughs) It's still, yeah, it does, like, without that context, I don't know if it does enough to kind of be like that. She just, I mean, it really is. She gets in the shuttle and then just starts taking her clothes off. She doesn't go like, oh, man, I'm covered in so much sweat. Not that she would need to, but it could underline that a little bit more. Well, I I mean... I personally, even if I was covered in blood, sweat, whatever, she just... 15 minutes ago escape for her life i i think a better like she's a human would be like her getting a drink or like you know just doing normal like let me like settle down i don't know if my first thought would be like these clothes off now yeah it would come that would probably be like 30 minutes in i'd be like oh my god this is disgusting but i don't think disgusting would register for a little bit that's fair i I think the thought more is is just like she's like i'm I'm done with this like i've just watch all this happen. I'm like, I just, we need to go to sleep. Like just block yeah. it out. Oh or, yeah. Freeze me. I don't want to process. Yeah. She was just like, <laughs> yep. Nope, I'm done. Like I took care of the cat cats all like in the tube. She's like, I'm just going to get myself in. Yeah. There's, there's not a shower on the shuttle, but this is definitely the kind of thing that you're just like taking a cold shower. I'm going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like does her final preparations. Like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep. Well, hopefully I get to wherever the ship is going. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And but before she can, um, I always love this, that the alien's kind of just taking a nap in the wall. So so what'd you make of this? Were you surprised that there was still an alien? I, I knew the alien was still somewhere. I was a little confused as to why it was just curled up to... Um, it does speak to the alien's intelligence, though, because I feel like it did know the ship was going to be blown up because it, it got out of her way and then hid in the other ship. Like, it didn't chase her. And it could have chased and caught her if it had wanted to. Yep. You know, it, it kind of had an idea, like, with the alarms and everything, maybe, that, like, this bad stuff going on. 
Yeah. Like the, the, there's the perfect organization right there. Yeah. You know, just like, perfect hey, organism. Popping out. But yeah, it always looks to me like, like, you know, your roommate's been sleeping off a hangover and you like come in and you turn the lights on. They're like, what are you doing? And then because he sees her and then kind of goes back to, to he kind of like rolls back over, like turn the light Plenty on. Plenty of time to get into the space suit. Yeah. I think that's really polite. She like kind of goes like, oh man, and runs into the closet. That's also where my, my electricity question was coming from. Cause I didn't know if it jammed itself in the console. Maybe it got like shocked to sleep or something. I, I, yeah. yeah, or it's just tangled in those wires. It's a little, it's a little unclear why it doesn't, you know, leap out and attack her mm. at that point. But I, I think it I is think just because it's like so far in. Yeah, because even afterwards, it still really takes a little in. bit to get out. It does. Yeah, not wrong. Then closet prep, and then she sits down after putting on the full spacesuit and is about to execute the plan to blow it out the back of the ship. She sings You Are My Lucky Star over and over again to herself, which apparently the producers of the movie were mad at Ridley Scott, including because then they had to go get the rights for that, (laughs) which is pretty funny. Why did she decide? Was there a reference to that in the? No. Okay. I think it's just, I'm sure at some point, someone in the last four years has asked her about this, but I didn't find that interview. So um, I think it's just, you know, a person in a really stressful situation. Maybe this is a mantra type thing. This is just like a, I need to like physically force myself to do these three tasks to be safe, no matter how scared I am. And this is just going to keep me on point. hundred percent got that. That's what I assumed yeah. as well. I mean, I do the same thing whenever I need to get over something like very scary. Like I have my own in my head, but to hear that she, made them go get the rights. It just seems like a very, like, so now it's a little bit more than that mantra to me. It's just like, yeah. why was this so important? But I, like you said, yeah. it, I'm sure somebody's asked her. I think it's cool. Um, then, yeah, she gets them, pushes them out the ship. Into the fire point, you notice it's in the, the jet and like, yeah, it pushes them off, but it didn't burn them. It just pushed them off. Like he was still clawing at the, it was fine. Mm-hmm. It's completely fine. I mean, I think it's still alive, just flowing out in space. I don't think anything happened. It's just not in her boat anymore. Yeah, someone's just going to pick it up Shit. later. It, seem, it seems like it, right? Because it is still, you know, fighting to get back on to on board once it gets pushed out. But it's not like, you know, you see humans get pushed out into the vacuum of space and freeze or whatever. Yeah. It looked fine. Yeah, it looked fine. Yeah, um, it definitely doesn't need, like, oxygen or anything. No. Very curious about the life cycle slash span of these things. Because, like, is there a big giant one running around on that primordial planet? Like, that burst out of the engineer's chest? Like, where did he go? Yeah. Oh, is that in the other movie? I don't believe so. We'll get into it. Okay. We're, let's let's wrap up oh, this sorry, movie sorry. first. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. She does the signing off thing at the end, does the last, you know, uh, audio log. Yep. Gets Jones all situated and presumably goes to sleep. And that's it for this movie. In Aliens, she wakes up 57 years later and it turns out her daughter uh, grew up, had a life and died. Did she mention the daughter? (laughs) I don't think so. Okay. But in the second one, oh, she has a daughter. Oh, she's dead. (laughs) That was a click. It's been 60 years and I guess the kid was already born. So it's like, yeah, you know. Checks out. It's not like it was a tragic death. She like, was oh, yeah, mom's an going old on age one person. Mission and then we'll, uh, yeah. we'll be back, you know, in like a few weeks. Yep. Um, so th- final thoughts on this. So first time seeing it, 
It's a good movie. It's a really yeah. good movie. Uh, especially like, I, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't a hundred percent sure of the time frame, so I thought this was like a nineteen ninety four movie. So I may have been a little bit more critical in my initial watch than uh, finding out like just today that it was nineteen seventy nine. I'm actually incredibly impressed to know it was nineteen seventy nine right? and not like like I yeah. said. I mean, the the fact that I thought it was fifteen years later yeah. anyway is is a credit to the movie. So yeah. And so I don't know if you have an actual number of how many times you've watched it in your head, but still good. Oh, yeah. It's one of those movies that like you can always return back to. And so it's still like quality. And I mean, you always pick up on those little things that you forgot about or like just happen to look over. But definitely holds true to like the sci-fi genre. Yeah, it's so good. Um, a lot of the kind of iconography and importance of this film is obviously with Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley. This is one of the earliest, if not the earliest example of a female led genre film that has an actual heroine who doesn't have a romantic interest whatsoever. Doesn't even talk about romance. Nope. Just gets it done. That's, and that's pretty much it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's got kind of everything in this movie. It's got, you know, strong female lead. It's got dudes feeling uncomfortable. Mm. Um, it's, it's so good. I actually have a list of different things that have ranked Ripley. AFI in 2008 said she was the eighth best hero in American film history. Mm. Uh, It's the second highest ranked female character after Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. Well, it's a weird kind of (laughs) weird company to be in, but uh, out of context, but I'm sure it looks fine on the list, whatever. Mm. Entertainment Weekly had Ripley fifth on their list of 20 all time coolest heroes saying she's one of the first female movie characters not defined by the men around her or her relationship to them. Uh, Number nine on Empire Magazine's 100 Greatest Movie Characters in 2008 moved up to number five in 2015, both times the highest-ranked woman, ranked eighth on Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Movie Characters of all time. MTV selected her as the second greatest movie badass of all time. Mm -hmm. And the only woman on that list aside from Sarah Connor from the Terminator movies. Total film had her the best female character in any movie ever. So yeah, Hmm. Uh, for her part, Sigourney Weaver was nominated for a BAFTA for best leading newcomer and a Saturn award for best actress in the sequel aliens, which comes out in, I want to say like 84 or something like that. 85 Uh, maybe it's 84. Um, She gets nominated for best actress. And that's, I think I mentioned earlier, only the third time, but uh, a horror actress in history had been nominated for Best Actress. I didn't mention this at the time, though, in case you're curious. Ellen Burson in The Exorcist and Sissy Spacek in Carrie are the other two at that point. Hmm. So, yeah, Ripley is a really important character for a lot of reasons. Uh, anything on Ripley you want to say? I feel like I've been talking for a long time. I'll probably cut half that out. <laughs> I, I like the point specifically of, like, she's not... Uh, strong because of the male leads and it's it's foiled to the point where like she's the only redeemable character in the entire movie pretty much and like she's actually the strong successful lead in spite of every single male male character and for that time again i mean this is 1979 i'm surprised the movie wasn't protested i mean honestly yeah uh serious people the, I, it was just so well done. I mean, my other question is, um, Ridley Scott, I don't know their gender. Um, is this That's a male good. director? Mm-hmm. Or? Oh, okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, throughout his career, he's cited a lot for, you know, having 
powerful women in his movies. He's got two more movies coming out just this year. He's 83, but not slowing down. Both of them, I believe, are the lead character is a female. He's got The Last Duel. Jodie Comer's character seems to be the lead of that. It's not out yet, so maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. And then uh, House of Gucci, which also comes out this fall. And uh, by the time this comes out, I think Last Duel will be out, but um, not actually sure. But anyway, and then House of Gucci seems to be about Lady Gaga's character mostly. So hmm. he's someone who stays super prolific. This was his first big movie. It's not his debut. He made The Duelist before that, but that only that had like a $900,000 budget. Hmm. Alien, a big step up from that. So really his first big wide release film. Crazy way to start things. Still making movies today. Yeah. I think he follows this up with Blade Runner. And it's just, oh. yeah, he's just on an absolute heater. Um, well, uh, I might be on a podcast for that one, too, because. <laughs> yeah. No? <laughs> no, neither one. Ooh, love Blade Runner. Have you seen Prometheus and Alien Covenant? Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen all of the movies. Okay, yeah. Had you had you seen either of those? No. Would you believe me if I told you that Michael Fassbender, a great actor, does an amazing job playing an android in both Prometheus and then playing a different android in Alien Covenant, but then his android from Prometheus joins about an hour into Alien Covenant, and um, he plays the, he plays two androids. They have like a very intimate scene where they teach each other how to play the recorder, and then they make out. That's amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's almost like every android is like the same one, almost yep. like clones. Gotcha. They have wildly different accents, but they look the same. That's yeah, it's almost like a weird like balancing on different like ideals because like they're different um patch okay yeah. like, ios just, yeah different <laughs> ios um, yep and they have definitely a lot of like interesting things and definitely has you asking a lot of questions the rest of the movie up until the end hmm. so i watched alien covenant for the first time last night really uh, yeah oh, i saw that in theaters yeah no i kind of wish i had i feel like it would have been a fun time i want i do want to know what the crowd reaction was when Michael Fassbender has a long scene of teaching himself to play the recorder. Mm. And then also a few scenes later when he kisses himself. When did this, this one came out like 2017. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Prometheus. So both of these are kind of mixed reaction, but I think they're actually both good. I, 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 I like, no, I, I enjoyed them. Yeah. I like Alien Government actually kind of a lot. So. I very specifically remember Prometheus coming out because I remember not having any clue what this movie was about, except for arguably a large object falling on a crew running away. Because I just saw that ad nauseum. It, that was the only thing I could see about this movie. And then I find out now that it's actually an alien prequel, which he didn't want people to... Yeah. Yeah, he he was talking that it wasn't. And to be fair, so they find the engineers and turns out the engineers are this, the race that is the the space jockey from Alien. And so that's like after the turn of the movie. So it's kind mm -hmm. of a similar setup to Alien where like yeah. they're just on a space mission, I'm assuming. Yeah, and you don't actually see anything even like really resembling a xenomorph. There is like an extremely large version of a facehugger kind of. Yeah. Huh, and then in the post credit sequence, you see a squid alien human hybrid alien burst out of someone in the post credit sequence. And it kind of looks like the xenomorphs that we recognize. I'm trying to, what's the genetic 
Yeah, there's a space squid. It's fine. Yeah. It's Prometheus. Uh, okay. It, it's like the um, a giant face hugger. Yeah. Okay. Like, when I say giant, I mean, like, enough where it could probably eat you whole. So, squid, alien, human, though. I'm just curious how we get three three oh, DNAs geez. in this. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, science mumbo jumbo. There's, like, some... There's some dodgy science that the android does and like secretly infects people with different strands of DNA and stuff. And includes an alien pregnancy, kind of. Yeah, it's a lot. It's so I love Alien because it doesn't bother with any of the backstory of why this is happening, how this got here. Okay. Um, but if you are, if you're feeling like, oh, I need that, that's all Prometheus is. Oh man, okay. I um, do kind of need that. I, I mean, there I'll, you go. Then then you'll enjoy that, and then Alien Covenant further clarifies that, and uh, so you see like these kind of weird version. This not these. This kind of weird version of the xenomorph right at the end credits of prometheus and then i don't want to spoil it because it seems like you're going to watch it but then you're like okay this is only you know 20 years before the events of alien how do they get from there to there and they kind of explain how they get from what that looks like to what the xenomorph and alien looks like kind of wondering what order i need to watch these things in uh probably like film release i'd say yeah next should be aliens yeah 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 yeah, you, as you they can, were released, um, is fine, I think. You can definitely skip over the fourth Alien movie, though. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You guys keep telling me how terrible it is. I'm going to watch it like a sci-fi movie. Uh, there you go. I guess oh, that yeah. well, that's a good way to do it. Um, and then, just because I said we'd come back to this. So, yeah, the um, sort of sexual undertones and the phallic imagery that you didn't pick up on, but was very explicitly included by the makers of the film to make dudes who were like seeing a horror movie uncomfortable because the whole action of how this alien operates is that it like rapes a dude uh, and then the dude has like a like a violent pregnancy okay um and then the alien itself its head looks like a penis i can see that yeah it's very <laughs> drippy and it definitely and it's very uses drippy. its uh, tail in interesting ways yes mm. and so. then also it has like the pharyngeal jaws that pop out yeah, that looked like a that's, dick. I, I yeah, see that's, that. Yeah, that's a dick. <laughs> so um, it has, you know, it, it's supposed to be not clear if it's male or female because it has kind of both sets of imagery suggestively going on. Mm. That also sort of was part of what drew um, Ridley Scott and Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the film, to Giger's material. So yeah, it's uh, it's got all that kind of stuff going on. And it was specific, like explicitly designed to make dudes uncomfortable hmm. in a way that they hadn't been uncomfortable before in a movie like this. Gotcha. Um, and I think it's successful. <laughs> no, de- definitely. <laughs> I, I think you, you need to have a fear of penetration for that. And I think my my orientation might make that a little less of a concern. True enough. And I, I don't, you know, I'm just, just thought wise. It's not actually yeah. that terrifying for me. <laughs> So yeah, maybe you get something else out of it. It's like, oh, maybe. (laughs) Watching this during the pandemic, especially during the time when, as we're recording, this Delta variant's terrible, but more and more people are being made to return to work in the north, and like uh, everything is fine, kind of fashion. Oh man. Um, and then one thing I do want to touch on is like really, you know, further reading kind of stuff. 
Dan O'Bannon, who wrote this movie, the movie he worked on before this as a student, and I think it was USC, was a student movie he made with John Carpenter, who is this legendary director. I think I've talked about him on the podcast before. Um, he does, you know, Halloween, They Live, The Thing, oh, okay. um, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, all these huge movies that are awesome um, and weren't appreciated in, in their time. You know, all those, all that good stuff. Anyway, they make this movie together as a student, as students called Dark Star. That's about a working class crew of a spaceship in deep space, isolated and it's sort of a comedy version that they, that Dan O'Bannon writes a few years before he writes alien of these like people in space, just getting stoned and like passing the time doing a job that they hate. And it's kind of dark. And there is an alien that like jumps around and attacks people and stuff. Okay. Honestly, Uh, I'd be really interested in watching that. (laughs) It's really good. I just, um, for this other podcast that I listen to a lot, is uh, doing all the John Carpenter movies. So I just watched Dark Star for the first time. And I didn't even know who Dan O'Bannon was until then. But they work on that student film together. They get some money to make it into a real film. Uh. Um, The next movie after that that Dan O'Bannon works on that actually gets produced is Alien that he writes. Uh, In between, he worked a little bit on the version of Dune by Jodorowsky that never came out. Mm. Not the Lynch one, but the one that was supposed to come out in the late seventies, but never ended up getting produced. Um, but then he goes right to alien writes that the original title is space beast. <laughs> um, bad title, bad title. And then he's like, <laughs> then he's, he said like, he always hated that, but looking at his manuscript, it says alien a bunch of times. And he's like, Oh, easy. Just like a clean noun. On there. You get one, right? Get I mean, one. he took it. That's it. <laughs> it's funny. So, you know, the movies that he goes to work on alien, same idea. Can't believe no one's named a movie this before. Yep. Uh, a couple movies after Dark Star for John Carpenter is Halloween. No. And damn, how has no one wow. named a movie Halloween before? It's just simple. Let's you make know? Christmas, right? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, nobody's made Christmas movie. Murder Santa. Christmas. They made Black Christmas. That's the problem. Oh, yeah. oh man. But not just preparation. Christmas. I can't do it. That's what, <laughs> that's what Krampus, right? Yeah, there's a Krampus. I don't know. I haven't seen Black Christmas. I hope there's a Krampus though. Zombie movie Easter. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they mostly do a good job hiding that it's a dude in the costume. Like we've said that before. Yep. Um, they actually found that guy that's in the xenomorph costume, just hanging out at a bar because he's yeah. just so like incredibly tall that they yeah. need someone to wear that suit. And specifically, also super skinny, right? Yeah, oh yeah. They, were, they it just happened to be just some random bar at the town. They were like getting ready to like go off to start filming and they just stumbled upon this guy and they're yep. like, Hey, um, do you want to make some money and go be in a movie? And he did. <laughs> yeah. He did a wonderful job. Yeah, he really did. He did a great job. You're looking through your notes. You got anything? Looking through my notes. I have Ash equals dumb, dumb. I like that one. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh yeah. Cut the bitch. Holy shit. I was wrong. Yep. Um, <laughs> 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 that was the, the acid scene in case anyone was wondering. Yeah. Um, oh, I have a, haven't you people ever heard of closing the goddamn door? Because like they're looking for the <laughs> xenomorph and the back door is open. And then when they're looking for the little one, like again, the doors are open. Anytime I walked into a room after the alien reveal, doors closed, right? Like, oh, yeah. I need to know behind me is safe at yep. all times. And they're just like, Meh, whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see through the whole movie that... um 
really is really the only like voice of reason through the whole movie mm-hmm. and just no one pays attention to her nope nope not at all and you know she survives so i mean there's that yep those right after dallas dies i i absolutely loved we have to stick together and then it was like no i'll go get it nobody followed me and he just goes off by himself it was literally there wasn't even a 15 second break between the two statements it was amazing yep. Nope, just the other one was other possible reasons for self-destruct on the ship. That was my only other. Yeah, yeah. quite a violent <laughs> explosion. I, I think that's the one thing that didn't age very well, and obviously from that time is the... Uh, Tough. The Tough to do. effects for the explosion were well, As we something. were talking yeah. about it, too, like just now it hit me. Uh, she didn't really even need to blow up the ship. She could have just left. Well, you don't want anyone coming back and like having to deal with that. Yeah. I guess you also don't know, like, what is actually going on with the other people still on the ship. Maybe they're infected in some way. It's fair. Well, it's like, probably a better safe than sorry thing. I think you're right. And I mean, it, I guess you don't know what's on the cargo either. And it might just be, like, uh, you know, company guidelines. Like, hey, if you can't hold the cargo, make sure no one else can have it. Blow it up. If there had been another character, they would have asked that question, and he would have said it's in the contract. Yeah, it's in the contract. Yeah. Um, if you can't have it, blow it up. No in case can. of aliens, space pirates, or corporate takeover, self-destruct. So in Aliens, you'll see this, but she basically gets stripped of her rank and everything because of questionable judgment, because they don't believe her story. Oh, Jesus Christ. So they think That's she kind of... very 70s. Yep. Oh, and, and, and don't worry, everything plays the, the same kind of way where you know, <laughs> no one listens to her this is beautiful. yep yep so yeah so you're not wrong they're gonna they're gonna be like why'd you have to blow up the ship oh, oh, so. well, <laughs> oh no i took the wrong but side. I, I, <laughs> I i definitely would recommend the uh the other movies for you to watch yeah yeah definitely yeah and let us know um what you what you think about them because it's a good time yeah all right. Well, thanks for being on the pod, guys. Yeah, cool. no problem. No, thanks um, for having us. No one's had a good answer to this yet, but do you have anything to plug? Um, yeah, in uh, space, no one can hear you scream. That's mm. right. By the crypto. Uh, okay. Mm. All right. That's See it. it. <laughs> All right. See cool. you later, everyone. Yeah, thanks.